0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, we're on part two of our three-part series about customer perspectives with Bob Cooper. In this episode, Bob asks a panel of consumers at the 2022 Elite Invitational in San Diego about pricing competitiveness and how to recover when something goes wrong with a customer experience. From the Aftermarket Radio Network, hi there. Carm Capriato here. Hey, a treat for you in this episode as we take you into the mind of the customer. Thanks to our sponsor, NAPA, for providing you this episode. You know, accomplish more by starting now. Always been the motto of Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a NAPA Auto Care exclusively endorsed vendor. RSOT will look at productivity, efficiencies, effective labor rates, average hours per car, labor profit percent, and how you can create net profit. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Well, call 440 545 for a free 20-minute no-obligation consultation or contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store. Hey, Carm here. Remarkable Results Radio. Honored to have my friend Bob Cooper, founder president of Elite Worldwide. God, Bob, you found that in 1990.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, the business started in 1990. I'm thrilled to say, yeah, it's now 30, uh, 32 years old. What an amazing company. Yeah, what an amazing journey.
0: Uh, where'd that time go?
1: You know what? Into a really good place is where it went. I could tell you that. I'm so, so thrilled.
0: Darren Barney is also with us, the VP of Operations at Elite Worldwide and president of Barney Brothers Off-Road and Repair Grand Junctions, CO Colorado. Hi, hey, Darren.
2: Hey, Carm, how are you? It's an honor to be here, so thank you.
0: We were in the green room uh, just waiting to turn on the record button, and presto, there's your son, Adam. Nice to have met him.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he's a five-year-old uh, little bundle of, uh, of energy and mischievousness, you know, but he's a great kid.
0: Five years going on 10, it looked like to me. Well, great, hey... This is a part two of a three-part series with Bob and a a few of his coaches. I fell in love with a panel that Bob did at the Elite Invitational in June of 2022, early June. And uh, Bob and I says, hey, why don't we kind of package this thing up, get some audio bites, some video bites, and let's talk about it because I think the entire industry can benefit from this. So, Bob, the impotence of putting this together, why did you do this?
1: Yeah, well, thank you, Carmen. Thanks for giving us the uh, opportunity of being here. And uh, the reason that we put this together is we've done this in the past, by the way. This is not our first go around when it comes to customer panels. Over the years, we've probably done five or so. The last one was in 2020 with the good people at Mitchell One. Uh, they were also actually the sponsor of our uh, invitational, I'm thrilled to say. And one of the things that we've learned over the years is no matter how well your customers love you, no matter how many years that they come to you in your business, the reality of it is there are some things they're just not going to tell you about your business, about the people that work with you. They're just not uh, because they, they, they like the status quo. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to say anything that's going to be taken the wrong way or put out of context. So one of the things I've learned over the years, if I could get a group of those ideal customers and gather them together and get inside of their minds and learn what makes them tick, we can learn a lot of really incredible things about the auto repair business and how we could better serve our customers and grow more successful businesses. So actually, Carm, that was, the, uh, that was the origin. That's why we do the customer panels, and that's why the industry loves them so much.
0: When you ask someone an open question and you sit there and say, how much do they really know about our industry based on the things that they say? And what's an outsider's perspective? And today we're going to cover pricing and competitiveness, and recovery from a mistake the questions that you asked the panel were so spot on for your audience and i'm glad you're sharing a few of those with us today so here's the deal everyone we're going to play a video if you if you can watch this on our youtube channel that would be great and if not we of course have the audio clip you can hear the audio why don't you set up the first one on pricing and competitiveness for us bob
1: I'd be more than happy to do that. And it's worth a mention to all of you guys and gals that are listening to this or watching this video is in choosing the panel, we wanted to get the guys and gals that we felt would be absolutely perfect. For a shop like yours. So half of the panel are actually people that are independent customers. Uh, they go there to the shops that they go to. They love them like a rainbow. The other half of them are people that actually go to the dealers. But one of the things that they all have in common is their ideal, your, they're your ideal customers. They have the affordability to fix their cars right. They're very agreeable people. They're educated when it comes to service. They understand that uh, anything that you get that has quality is going to come with a price along with it. I mean, the guys and gals that you would love to see in your shop. So you're going to find when you're listening to these panels, some of them own Euro cars, some of them own domestic cars, but the reality is uh, these are all the the ideal people for your shop. So hopefully that gives a little bit of an insight, Carm, as to who they're going to be hearing on this panel.
0: Great outline of who was there. I totally agree with you. Now let's do the first video. The topic of this is pricing and competitiveness.
1: How do these guys even, nurses here from a great state of Texas, three stores, Great business. How does he determine the prices of his repairs? Do you have any idea? Yana? what about you? Do you have any idea how he determines the price of a repair to put a starter on or do an oil service? Any idea at all?
0: I'm not sure if maybe they have like a centralized system or maybe they're just pricing it based on maybe other
3: businesses. That's what I would assume, maybe based on other businesses. Okay.
1: How about
3: you? I'm guessing they use good old-fashioned economics and market conditions and what the market will bear and competitors and looking at cost of goods and recurring costs and all that good stuff that goes into running a successful business. Okay. I think
2: of Salesforce. I'm sorry? Salesforce. So Mm -hmm. our big tech company that kind of determines that based on, but I don't know if your industry has that, but I feel like that's what a lot of industries do. So you think
1: they might use Salesforce? Possibly. Mm -hmm. How about you?
3: Um, same as all that they've said, price comparison to other places, maybe even going to the dealership and uh, pretending like they're a customer and finding out. Okay. Here,
1: I don't know. Yeah, That's... here's another question that I probably asked some of you in the, when we did the interviews. Sarah, you take your car in to the shop that you love. You've been going to them for a lifetime. Let's say they quote you $4,000 to replace the transmission in your car. And it doesn't matter why or how, you discover you could get that same repair done at another very well-ran competitive shop, shop that has great reviews, you know, everything, you've heard great things about them, you could, but you've been going to your shop for a number of years, you could get that same repair done for less that $4,000 job. Now, if the other shop down the street tells you that they could do it for $39.95, you're certainly not going to go there. If they tell you they'll do it for $3,900, you might not go there. How low would that, and just any number that you guys feel comfortable with, any number, doesn't matter to me, how low would that price have to be before you tell yourself, you know what, I think I'm going to go down there. In essence, how competitive do they need to be with a $4,000 repair?
3: I mean, 500 to a thousand, I might start to ask why, why their price is that high and why can I get one down the road for a thousand bucks less? But it would have to be pretty considerable
0: because okay. I really don't look at the price. So i not that like to you
1: $500. If they're a $4,000 repair, if they could get, you could get the same repair done down the street for $3,500. You'd probably stick with that guy that you're doing business with, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. How about you? I'd say probably the same 500
1: to a thousand. 500 on a, okay, $4,000 repair.
3: Yeah, I think it's about 20% is where I'd start to ask some questions. know
0: uh, how about
1: you?
2: I
3: would ask my dealer to match the low price. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd have a conversation uh, first. Yeah. And
1: if he didn't, so how, how uh, competitive would they have to be before you?
0: I would have to see the breakdown, and if it was maybe related to the labor, and maybe I would go. And again, it's just like you know how serious is this part if what if they do wrong you know not so good job if I just knew that this mechanic is just absolutely outstanding and if I saved two thousand dollars I probably would go for it but I would have to see why the you know breakdown is so different
1: there you go guys and you know what's interesting about their answers that's pretty much the same answer that I got From a lot of the other people that I interviewed. And I'm not talking about the people that were the wrong people. But people that were really good people. But for other reasons I decided not to bring them on and brought you guys in. You all landed a $4,000 ticket. $3,500 ticket. You all landed above $500. So what I'm suggesting to you. Is you don't need to match the guy down the street.
2: To keep your customers. You need to be competitive.
0: Wow. We need to unpack this. Because there was a lot there.
2: Thing that I really like, and there's a bunch of stuff here, but on that first part I thought was really fascinating is how she talked about calling, you know, around and doing price shopping. And I never will forget when we first hired a coach for our business, um, he encouraged us. He knew that our prices were really low. In fact, we were lower than everybody else around. But my brother and I didn't know any different. And so we had priced everything very, very low because we thought we had to be. And so he actually encouraged us. He says, You need to call around and you need to do price comparisons to the good shops, not Not the the low-end shops, but he said the really good ones, the ones that in your community that everybody talks about. So we did. My brother and I called from our cell phones, and we made these great lists, and we priced out ball joint jobs and different things for all these different shops. And come to find out, we were so low in our pricing that we were we were pricing ourselves to go out of business you know and that was a huge takeaway for us was learning that that it was like oh my goodness that is important for you to make sure that you're charging appropriately you know so I love the fact that they talked about that because they had no idea just like we didn't and it was I really identified with that when I heard all of them say that
0: it's like if I'm a shop and I'm looking at this and and I'm hearing this and I'm sensing and I'm feeling how I am or I am not competitive. And that, that why did I get this? Why did I lose that? There are, th- there's multiple reasons for all of this stuff. There's not just one
2: reason, right, Darren? Well, wasn't that so fascinating? I mean, that part of it. Oh my goodness! Do you hear that? And it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, she said five hundred to a thousand. They actually said most of them said you know eight hundred to a thousand on a four thousand dollar ticket. That's huge. It's twenty percent. And here I'm worried about, you know, <laughs> making I'm afraid that I'm comparative on this transmission we're selling. And it's like, wait a minute, they're willing to pay that much more to my good clientele? Oh my goodness. And
0: then you think about the sophistication of the consumer when the one lady said, I'm going to get a breakdown. Is it labor? Is it parts? I mean, wow, are you kidding me? That was eye opening to me.
2: It was really eye opening. But even she was still like, I would ask for a better deal, but. You know, if I understand it, I, that's fine. I'm fine
0: with it. Bob, what's interesting is that you brought up a $4,000 ticket. I mean, there's a lot of room to talk about something like that versus, say, for example, a break job. But, you know, so many of the common jobs that we do out there, people want a better price anyway. So the, I, I thought you you picked some great people that had a sophisticated look. But what I also wrote down was Salesforce and how the the, the guy determined that the prices were gotten from... an app or, and again, I think I know what Salesforce is, but how Salesforce could come inside of how the prices were determined. Wasn't it
1: interesting? All They all had different thoughts as to where these prices actually come from. And we actually use Salesforce here at Elite. And obviously, (laughs) it's something that guys and gals in the auto repair business won't be using in their businesses. But the reality of it is, none of them had a clue. And what we were looking for there is, were they going to say something to the extent of, well, you're going to call your parts supplier. You're going to find out how much those parts cost. you use that as a matrix. You're going to call the guy down the street. You're going to see what he does. So they really don't understand where the pricing is actually embedded. You know, the, the chemistry, the makeup of the price, they really don't understand that. And I think the other thing that's that we need to bear in mind here, guys, is that in all cases, here at E-Late, one of the things that we'll never encourage you to do is be the, the cheapest. Obviously, we're not going to encourage you to do that. And like Darren had said so well, you need to know what your competitors are charging. And we also know that you need to charge the right amount of money for your shop. You need to know what your expenses are. You need to know what your cost of operations are. You need to be aware of how much money you need to make out of your business. And of course, that's going to lead to your pricing. But you know what? When the sun goes down at the end of the day, when you think that you got an idea of what your pricing is, darn it, you still have to be competitive. I mean, this is the world that we live in, because if you're not competitive, no matter how good you think you are, and we're talking, we're talking about competitive, we're talking about with shops of like quality service to you, people that have Rockstar businesses with rock star employees that have great warranties, great reputations, great reviews. That's the kind of people that we're talking about. So you have to be competitive with them. The question is, how competitive do you need to be? And gentlemen, I think what we've learned here, and we've heard this in the past from other customer panels, when you're talking about $4,000 or so, if you're within 20%, you know, if you're within, you know, if you're within $800, uh, you're doing very good. Don't even worry about it. You know, I thought that that was the greatest takeaway.
2: That was awesome. And they all agreed. It wasn't like one of them said, oh, no, no, I would, no, $200. It was like they all were agreement on that. That was cool. Yeah. Really insightful. You, and you know that. what else was cool, Darren, is
1: when we picked up with, if you guys remember with the Mitchell panel that we did in 2020, one of the takeaways that we had there is no matter how long your customers have been coming to you, no matter how loyal you feel that they are to you, you know what? The majority of them are still going to be price sensitive. They're still going to hold you accountable to price they are going to price shop you so when those big tickets start coming out when that laundry list price comes across don't take the assumption that gee this customer's been coming to me for a long time i don't have to be concerned about you know what they're still going to price shop you in many cases so bear that in mind guys and gals if you take this 20 percent ratio and put it into the back of your mind you're probably going to be in a really good place
0: You know, as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops and vehicle owners are increasingly locked out from accessing vital repair data. But who owns the data? The vehicle owner or the manufacturer? When it comes to vehicle repair, the fight to secure data access for vehicle owners and their chosen independent repair facilities continues. U.S. Representative Bobby L. Rush introduced the right to equitable and professional auto industry repair acronym REPAIR, R-E-P-A-I-R, act to the U.S. House on February 3, 2022. The bill is aimed at giving small independent repair shops the same kind of data access that licensed vehicle dealerships already receive. Americans should not be forced to bring their cars to more costly and inconvenient dealerships for repairs when independent auto repair shops are often cheaper and far more accessible, said Rep. Rush. But as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops are increasingly locked out. The right-to-repair legislation should protect a pro-consumer and competitive motor vehicle repair market, provide independent repair shops with the rights to critical information, tools, and equipment needed to repair modern cars and trucks. The right-to-repair legislation should task the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration with developing cybersecurity standards and guidelines to protect vehicle data and systems when repair and maintenance data is accessed by vehicle owners. Please join the fight and help support Right to Repair by completing the form at www.autoadvocacy.org slash NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to Repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive heavy-duty paint and body industries. AutoCareAdvocacy.org slash NAPA. I always go back to the value proposition and the no like and trust thing. I heard a little bit of that there, okay? I did. And uh, and the other thing uh, one of my other takeaways Bob was well, just go shop the dealership and see what they're charging. And I found that to be fascinating that we're not smart enough on our own to figure this out, <laughs> so we're going to we're going to have to use the dealership as the litmus paper or or the barometer to our to our industry. And yet, you know, we do seventy plus percent of out of warranty work in in the as an independent. And again, I don't know what kind of cars they were driving, Bob, but that that would have maybe lent them to have a dealership mentality. But it's it exists all day long. They're they're trying to reel them in.
1: A couple of these people actually were dealership customers. They drove Euro cars, but the other ones actually were the mom and pop soccer mom people, and they drive the everyday back and forth kind of automobile. They go to the independents, and uh, they're still willing to pay that extra money to deal business, do business with people that they trust. People where they feel, you know what, this is comfortable. They're smart enough to know if they go somewhere else. They're smart enough to know if they go somewhere else. That mystique, that promise of a great price might not turn out to be what they were hoping it to be, number one. Number two, they're also smart enough to know if it doesn't turn out to be what they would like it to be, how do you come home? That's a million-dollar question. How do you come home? If you take your car to another shop after you've been going to the shop for five years or whatever it is, and they do brakes on it or whatever, and you're not happy, how in the world do you go back to that shop with your tail between your legs? What do you tell them? You know what, hey, look, hey, I couldn't help but notice you got brakes on your car. What? Uh, what's up? I mean, this is the way it's going to unfold, right? So instead of coming back to you, they'll more than likely go to another shop or another shop looking for a place now to find for their new home, which is really troubling for them. So they know this in the back of their mind. They know this. That's why they're anxious and that's why they're willing. I think that's why they're willing to spend a little bit more to stay with people that they really do trust.
0: Another observation was one of the ladies who she was really sophisticated in her language. Bob and Darren, did you notice she was talking about economics and percentages? To me, that stereotypical individual is smart enough to be testing, if you will, the no like and trust piece.
1: To all of our listeners, gal the gal that Karma's talking about, I believe the one that you're talking about, was Jody, uh, the one that knows the numbers and talked about doing your homework. She actually drives an electric car, guys and gals. She's actually an electric car driver. And the reason that we wanted to have somebody that drives an electric car on a panel is this is your future. She truly does represent the coming years for you. So for all of you listeners, by the way, if you didn't listen to Carm's last podcast, the first one that we did, boy, you need to listen to that one too because she really has a lot of great comments on uh, on that podcast as
0: well. We covered how much techs earn, Tattoos and smoking yeah. and customers referring to Texas mechanics. That, that was a great episode, part one. We'll put a link in this show notes to the, the previous. In fact, all three episodes that we're going to do, will, will be able to link to each other. But it almost opens up a perfect segue into our next segment, Bob, because Jody is pretty much featured in this next little segment.
1: Yeah, this is actually the gal that uh, drives an electric car. And the question that I had for the audience was, can you tell us a story about something that went wrong and how you feel the company that you were doing business with did a really good job of recovering and saving you as a customer? And uh, she sort of sort of stole the limelight. She had a really great story. She would put up her hand everybody, loved what she had to say. And uh, I think all the audience is going to enjoy hearing this as well,
0: Carl. All right, we'll play it right now.
3: I have a Kia Soul EV, and there are not very many of them in uh, on the road or in the country. They're not making them anymore, and I was having battery issues, and I was having some other issues of the car. Whatever, who knows? The car would go into park, but it would move. They had my car for a very, very long time. I had another vehicle to drive. Um, I was irritated, by the way, that the car that I was driving was a gas powered car. So I was having to pay for the gas during this time that they had my car. And we're talking a few months. Kia actually came down from Irvine and they brought one of their engineers. And when they did that, they invited me to come on over and meet with him. It was all very convenient. I didn't have to go very far, but Kia wrote me a check to cover the gas that I had to pay during the time that they had my car. Hmm. That was amazing to me Hmm. because it was something that I mentioned in passing as an irritation, but they went out of their way to do that. And for me, I'll never, ever forget that. And I told the story a lot. And that's the thing is that if, um, you know, statistically, if somebody wrongs you in a customer service experience, you'll repeat that probably ten times in, you know, two days. But if somebody does something right in a customer service experience, you'll probably only repeat it a couple times in, you know, a month. So really fixing, I always have heard the adage that when something goes wrong in a customer service environment, fix the problem so well that people can't wait for it to happen again.
0: Mm-hmm. Fix it so well that they can't wait for it to happen again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Darren, is something like that ever happened in your place?
2: Of course. In fact, I just had a really neat meeting earlier this week with my team, and I came back from the Invitational, and I and I talked to him, and I said, you know, we have this comeback report that we've been doing for years, and everything that you know we have an issue with comeback wise, we ever had everybody has to go through and sign off it. It's very thorough, but it's it's older. And so when I came back, I told the guys, I said, you know, I'd really like to come up with something that's not just about comebacks. It's about any time a customer's unhappy. And so on Wednesday, the team came to me in in our team meeting, and and they had built this whole thing, and it's called an action report. And it's something, I guess, that stems from the military and police. And it has to go, everybody from the first person who answers that phone call is the one that now is in charge of making sure that that customer is resolved. And so it's this whole report, and it's all done in paper, and then it's all put into OneNote. So if you have a customer that calls and they're upset with being on hold too long and having to call back, that is considered an action report thing. You know, so it's something that now we have a whole procedure on how to deal with whatever that individual circumstance was. And granted, this just happened on Wednesday morning. It was in our team meeting that we have every Wednesday morning. And so I don't, I'm curious to see how the team is going to implement it. But it was really exciting. I read it and I'm like, this is really cool stuff, guys. And I was really happy for them it because it's a great program to move forward with fixing those things like undercharging for a bumper install or whatever it may be. But there's now going to be a whole policy in place of how to fix those things and moving forward, how to fix them. So it, it was really exciting for
0: me. That's a great story, Darren. Thank you. Let me just jump in here. Recently, I had uh, Jimmy Leon from Kakui. and he was talking about the, the Google algorithms on you know, five-star reviews. And they're not going to put up a, a 5.0 rating as often as they would someone that has a four seven 4, 8, 4, 9. We're not in a perfect world. We're going to make mistakes, right? And th- the whole idea of this recovery in a one-star, two-star review is for us to reply, respond as soon as we can, and, and not be defensive, but say, hey, what can we learn from this? Uh, a couple of takeaways that I had from, uh, I guess, Jody Bob, would be she coveted her EV to the point where she never wanted to buy gas ever in her life. And who would have ever thought that writing a check for the gas would have been her button.
1: And you think about it, Carm, to your point about writing the check for the gas. They could have given her a check for anything. It doesn't matter what it is. It could have been five times the check that they gave her for gas. But the fact that they tied it to the gas showed how, how intuitive they were, yep. how they were tied to her as a person. As an, they weren't just throwing money at it. They were trying to say, we understand. We not only feel your pain, but we understand your pain, which I think was absolutely huge. You know, there was an article that was in uh – Forbes magazine, a number of years ago, I don't remember how long ago, but probably within probably 10 years ago or so. And it was actually about the Marriott Corporation, a hotelier. And one of the things that they did is they were doing a survey on their customer care scores. They were intrigued in the fact that they were actually getting better scores from people where they dropped the ball and recovered well than people that had flawless days. And what Marriott then discovered from that survey of theirs is that when people go to a Marriott, they expect to have a flawless day. They expect that. So if you go to a Marriott and if everything goes well, you're not impressed. That was your expectation. I, in the same note, if there's a mistake made, you don't expect the hotel company to recover well. If they do, you're wowed. So what Marriott did at that point is they shifted a lot of their budget from customer care, you know, from the customer experience to recovery. And that's what I, that's what today at Elite, we encourage all of our clients to do. Bear in mind, we're never going to suggest that customer care isn't important. It's critically important to your success, but you got to understand the importance of recovery as well. Like Darren was talking about, having that plan in place, because these things inevitably are going to happen. Things are going to go wrong. This is why you have to have a written strategy, a written plan in place. It needs to be a part of your employee meetings, and you need to talk about the wind. You need to talk about not only how you apply this, but when the mistakes do happen happened. You know, the outcome of that and how it worked out really well for, for the client as well as for the company. This is huge.
2: I agree 100% with what Bob just said. That tells me that service advisor, that person that interacted with her was really good. He heard her complain about that dollar and having to pay for the gas. It wasn't the dollar amount. It was the fact that somebody actually really listened. That's why it's so important. That we have the best people we can, our service advisors and the people that actually have contact with the public, that they're really good with people. Because she caught yeah. that or whoever was caught it and said, hey, we, we got to make sure we're covering her gas here. She doesn't care about the rental car or any of that other stuff. She cares about the gas. That was an important person that actually heard that. You know, that's the person I want on my team that it caught that.
0: A big part of what I do, guys, even though people say, well, Carm, you have opinions on things. Yes, but I got to listen 80%. In every interview that I do. If not, I didn't do my job, right? So I'm listening to Jody, okay? And I'm trying to pull the key words so that if I was actually interviewing her, I would take these key words and then do something with them. Can I tell you what my key words were? I'd love to hear. Yeah. Yeah. She had an issue. Long time. Loner. Engineer. Those are my words. Those were important to her. She repeated the story, and those were critically important to her. If you're listening to the client on the other, no matter if it's long-term, things are happy, things are great, what's great about it or what happened? And if you're pulling those key words, you will shape, as you guys have both said, your customer service strategy, how you treat people, you know, and how to teach your counter people what to look for and how to react.
1: Amen. Listen, how to listen. Amen. 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 You know, Carm, one of the things that, uh, and I don't want to get off subject. This is all about recovery and what we've discovered from this panel, this particular panel, and specifically from Jody. But the reality of it is one of the questions that we often hear from our clients is, what do you do with an advisor that always wants a discount? Just from jobs, you know, look, this gal really needs have break. She's a longtime customer, whatever. How do you manage that? So what we encourage all of our clients to do is take a look at how much money you normally invest in discounts over the course of a period of time, break that down, and then go to your advisors and tell them, look, this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll put together a budget. And it'd be a monthly budget. And I'm pulling a number out of the air. $400 a month is a budget. And then you tell the advisor, you're going to have a budget of $400 that you could use discretionary to, to get to solve problems, whatever you want to do. Pay for rental cars, whatever you want to do. And at the end of the month, whatever's left of that $400, half of it stays with the company and you get the other half. Now they, they can spend the money, but it's theirs to spend, in essence. It's theirs to lose. It's theirs to give away. Now, if you take this approach and you also include in that recovery – if you let the clients, if you let your employees know, look, you got this discretionary money to make this customer a happy. Customer, much like the Ritz Carlton, I think. Uh, I think what we heard from Ritz when they spoke with one of our couple of our advances, I think it's two thousand dollars per employee is what they're able to spend on any customer to make them happy at the moment to solve a problem. So little things like this, empowering your people to help this recovery process. You know, by solving a problem just as quickly as possible, it's going to be huge. It's going to be absolutely huge. So, what's the secret? The secret is having a plan in place, like like Darren said, making sure that you empower, make sure you have the right people, empowering the right people, have a plan in place, remain customer centric. You know, make make sure that you're customer centric people throughout. So, I think that there's so many takeaways from that story Jody told. So many takeaways. So, and how about the fact that how she said you do somebody wrong, they're going to tell the world. You know, you, you do them right, and you're blessed if they tell somebody. But look how she's telling that story. Story, right. Yeah. Look oh at the God. how many times she told that story. And here we are telling that story, too. Right. So, you know, why would that not benefit our clients as well? Right. Why would it's that so not important? It's not customers. about
2: the dollar amount in yeah. her story. It was not yeah. about the dollar amount. It was the fact that they took care of something that was important to her. It was not about dollars. We're always afraid of shop owners. Oh, my goodness. How much is this going to cost me? oh, my goodness, we're going to have to pay all this money to do this. It's not about that. It's about listening and identifying what it takes
0: to fix it. I wrote this down as I was just trying to feel your energy and, and all the things that are going on with this, with this great example. And I wrote down in my shop, at my counter, in our philosophy is problems don't exist here. And there's where your money comes in to solve those problems. There's where your culture comes in. There's where, where, there's where your no like and trust happens. Problems don't exist here.
1: Yeah, solutions do.
0: Yeah. Yes, I do. Thank yeah. you, Bob. Thanks for fish finishing yeah. yeah. Solution. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I love that. Yeah, yeah. Guys and gals, look, this is not gonna happen by chance. This is something that you have to work on. To all of the listeners, all the viewers, you're gonna have to do like Darren is talking about you're gonna have to sit down, you're gonna have to put together a plan, get your team involved and say, Okay, what's this plan gonna look like? How are we gonna detect these customer issues? Much like when you're doing customer care calls. Yeah, one of the questions that we often hear is what are the questions you need to ask when you're doing customer care calls? There's one i feel that you need to ask when you're hey darren bob cooper calling from elite on repair do you have just a moment i know that you had your car in here the other day and i just wanted to follow up with you how did we do my friend that's all you need to ask. let him tell you what's important it's no different with recovery It's absolutely no different. You have to have this plan in place. You know, what are going to be the signals that there's something that's not right? Who is going to be responsible for those signals, for managing those signals? What are you going to do under different circumstances? How is the follow through? What are you going to do for follow up with the customer after it occurs? And what are you going to do to prevent something like that from happening in the future? If you have that plan in place and if you revisit it on a regular basis at your team meetings, I think you could do wonders with it. I really do.
0: Spot on, Bob. Thank you for this. Uh, I know we're going to have a part three. I know you have something to give our audience.
1: One of the things that I thought that we would do, Carm, is we're talking about customers and we're talking about the customer experience. And one of the things that we have is a customer care guide, and it's a really cool document. It's 13 pages long, and it has a series of bullet points on each one of the customer touch points. And it's meant to give all of you that are viewers, it's meant to give you a framework that you could build out to build a really customer care process for your entire company. So we're providing you that as a gift from here, us here at Elite, along with a uh, shop owner job description. I think all the shop owners need to have a job description. I think you'll really like what you discover when you read that uh, job description that we have available to you. So a couple of the gifts we'd like to pass on to the people. Easy to download, and then they can take advantage of those.
0: EliteWorldwide.com forward slash ARN. ARN means the Aftermarket Radio Network for everyone. Uh, We have a QR code up if you're watching the video. And if not, and you're listening to audio, you also can get it into the show notes. We'll have a link to that. So uh, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Chris Monroe is going to be with us in part three, I hear. Uh, Any final words uh, on on these great two videos, pricing and competitiveness and recovery?
2: One thing I really wanted to stress there, I know we lightly touched on it, but it's so important you have the right people. You have to have the right people. If you've got a grouchy person answering that phone and you have a customer that's upset and they get that grouchiness, you have those two things fit, you know, hitting together. It's really not going to end well for anybody. So I would really encourage you to look at your staff. Um, I had the opportunity to call one of my clients, my coaching clients the other day, and the person that they answered the phone was not uh, very pleasant. And I didn't feel the warm fuzzies inside that I would hope that, you know, a customer would feel when they call. And we talked it over and, and, you know, some changes need to be made there and, and, and we'll move forward with that. But I had never really called the shop before to talk to the, this person, but I just to try to sell and I didn't get through. So I would encourage you to call your own business and listen to how your people answer the phone and just see how they how they answer. Because that's a window into your, your business. And that apprehensive customer, first-time customer, whatever it may be, we have to have the right people there, right people in place, because they're the window to your business. So. Thanks, Carm, for letting us be here. That's my thoughts
0: for the minute. Darren, thank you so much for all your great insights and uh, and everything that you do for the podcast. Uh, Any final words, Bob?
1: Yeah, Darren and I agree with Karm. Great, uh, great message from you. To all of your listeners and viewers, I would encourage you to watch this video a couple times. I really would. Really make sure that you understand what you're discovering. And don't forget, information is one thing. Knowledge is one thing. But knowledge isn't going to get you from here to there. What's going to get you from here to there is follow through, taking the action that you need to take. So watch this a couple times and then take those notes that you need to take and then ask yourself, OK, what are the steps that I'm going to take to really? They benefit from this and help improve my business and help improve the customer experience as well. Uh, the other thing I would encourage you to do is, like Carm said earlier, make sure that you join us for the next session. Chris Monroe, an amazing shop owner in a great state of uh, North Carolina, Shelby, North Carolina. And we're going to look at marketing. I think your your mind's going to explode when you're going to learn, when you hear from Chris, from the panel, I should say, and from Chris, is what you need to do differently with your website. You're going to hear about PPC as well, which I think is really amazing. And uh, it's just going to be uh, it's going to be an amazing experience there as well. So, Carm, thank you again for allowing us uh, the opportunity of being here.
0: Can't wait, Bob. Thanks, Darren, Bob. Have a super day, guys. Thank you. you too. Carm. Thanks, Carm. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier
2: automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.